Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. As 2024 approaches, promising all kinds of new adventures, plot twists and challenges, I think it's really important that we reflect on the year that was. So I thought it was only fitting that we reflect on some of the conversations that we've had over the last year on the Salon Owners Collective podcast. We've done nearly 50 episodes and in 2023 we welcomed over 20 new guests onto the podcast and we've delved into some great topics. But out of all of the amazing conversations that we've had this year and the lessons that we've learned, there are five that really stand out from the rest. These are the conversations that you guys really engaged with, the ones that you listened to, that you liked and commented and shared. So without further ado, these are the five biggest lessons that we've learned from in 2023. Kicking off with number one, one of the biggest conversations that we've been having on and off this year is about team management. So many salon owners have been talking this year have said to me that the Gen Z just don't want to work. But that's not entirely true. They just want to work differently. And the world is changing and they are the product of this change. So we either adopt or we adapt or we get left behind. So let's dive into this episode. We'll often wait for others, aka our employees, to prove themselves before we give them a chance. Like often um, we'll wait if they've, uh, like, you prove to me that you can do it and then I'll give you a chance. Or you prove to me that you can do X, Y, and Z and then I will do my part. Um, and I think... Uh, we need to take the lead and step them into action uh, and empower our people. I think we need to do it differently. And the first part of that is actually deciding that we need to trust our people and to trust first. We can't wait until um, they come to the party. This generation is not going to come to the party and most employees don't step up first. We need to decide to take action first and the first part of that is deciding to trust even if they've broken trust in the past or even if they haven't proved themselves yet because it's a new relationship we need to choose to trust and change the pattern we need to go first we're the parent we're the the employer we're the elder if you will um and yeah, I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that it is a decision, trust is a decision that we need to choose and make. It's not a logical uh, decision um, because often, like, if somebody breaks our trust or somebody hasn't built the trust, it's hard for us to go first. But I think as the employer, we have to decide it's not about us, what it is that we need, it's about them, giving them a chance to step up first. You have to go first. You have to be the parent in the relationship um, and step in with faith that they will rise 
to the occasion, which brings us on to my second point, which is expectation is powerful. And if we trust people first and give them the opportunity first, um, when you need people to change their behavior and you expect it and hold respect for yourself or for the respect for the job or respect for the client and then expect more from them, they're more likely to rise to the occasion. So I expect someone, for example, uh, and I'll, I, I, I've got teenagers, so um, this is a common uh, example for me. But when I say to my child, someone of your age, at 16, I expect you to be able to do this, there's some trigger that goes off in their mind and they will rise to the occasion, even if they don't believe that they can do it or they've never done it before. Right? Most people will rise to the occasion if you lift the bar for them. Um, so we need to trust them first, even if they haven't done it before, and, um, and expect good work ethic, expect good behaviour and expect a good attitude. And for the most part, people rise to the occasion if you do that. And that's hard and counterintuitive because often we expect people are like, oh, I'm not going to do that or this generation won't do this or previous employees haven't behaved in that way or even then they haven't, um, haven't done that before. But when we don't give in and hold them to it, um, it, it changes. And then thirdly, if we trust first, we raise the bar and uh, level up expectation, then we need to make sure that we model with action. Now, this is a hard one because you can know something in theory or have expectations in your mind, but actually doing it yourself is hard. We're juggling a lot of things. And I know for me, this is the one that I'm constantly checking in on myself. Am I doing what I said I, um, that I'm expecting from other people? Um, and so if we want something from others, our behavior or our actions are always going to speak louder than the words that we say. So we can say that we want something from somebody or this is how we do it around here. We've got to make sure that we do that. And I know for me as a creative entrepreneur, I love to create ideals and rules and the way that we do things. I hate to follow systems. So this one for me is a hard one because I'll set up systems and processes in my idealistic way that I want things. And then I have to follow the rule. And it's really hard to self-reflect sometimes on that. And so I think this is why this is important. If we're going to set these things, we need to say what it is that we want and then make sure that we're doing it the same. And verbalize trust even when we don't have it. Yeah, like fake it till you make it. I trust that you will do this. Have you ever said that to somebody? Like I would say this to my 16-year-old often. I trust that you can do this. In my back of my mind, I was like, there's no way in hell he's going to do this. <laughs> it's going to be a miserable failure, but I trust that you're going to do it and he will rise to the occasion. Um, so, for example, my 16-year-old um, is, because this is probably the most uh, contentious relationship, this is why they'll use this as an example. Um, if I push him towards something, he will react back. Now, I have thought personality, and we're going to learn about this shortly. He is also a thought personality. And so if I raise my voice and yell at him, he yells back. Has anybody got a team member like that? Like if you raise the voice, the voice will come up or a child like this. And so I have learned that I cannot give him the behavior because I'll get it straight back. He is a complete mirror of me. And I think it's the same with our, uh, any relationship that we have is that we're going to get back what we give. And um, so we've got to watch what we're doing first. And so if you're not getting what you want out of the relationship or people aren't following through, we've got to look at ourselves first. And are we getting a mirror back 
from what it is that we're doing. And then we need to show them the way. So it's super hard for me to not, when I'm super frustrated or it gives me attitude, to not yell at him or raise my voice or put too much weight in what I'm saying and keep super calm and clear. But I have to do that because then I'll get the same back and we can have a good uh, connected relationship. So um, modeling behavior, watching where you're at for all of those reasons. So any of those examples um, resonate? The one is like setting rules and regulations or um, the way that we do things and then having to follow them. And this, this came to my mind out of several conversations that I've had in these coaching calls as well as my own experience, particularly with my son. So I know that it resonates somewhere. Um, okay. And when they don't, of course, we want to show them step by step or model the behavior that, we've, uh, that we're after. Um, and I think often we forget in times of frustration or we're not getting the behavior that we want, that we forget to break it down and show people step by step. Okay, so that's a really good segue into the second lesson from 2023, the warning signs that your team members are leaving. And this is something that becomes more and more relevant year after year as our behaviours change as a society. In fact, it's estimated that Gen Z will have up to 18 different jobs in their lifetime. And yet most salon owners tell me that the hardest part about losing a team member is that they didn't see it coming. So we talk about the five signs that your employee is going to leave. Let's jump in. We would expect people to be at work 45 weeks of the year, whatever your version is in the country that you're at. But when that starts to change, in increased sickness, they're away from work, that's a sign. That's a sign that they're no longer committed the way they used to be. Number two, the other sign is that they start to complain. Their attitude is suddenly on the decline. Even good people go bad sometimes and they start turning up late. They start to have an attitude of like, I just don't care anymore. And another one of those signs is that they start to ask for more money, even though it's unjustified and they're not performing. Maybe they're not reaching their targets. They're not doing the things that they want to, but they feel suddenly justified to ask for more. And I think that attitude, there's a, there's a shift. Number three is that they stop achieving. Their sales start to decline. The results start to decline. Their average client spend goes down. They stop upgrading their clients. And certainly they stop rebooking or the rebooking slows. And part of that is that the attitude has gone down, but part of that is that they don't see future in your business anymore. So what's the point? So if they're no longer turning up to work the way that they should, if they start to complain and their attitude is on the decline and they stop achieving, these are signs that your employee is about to quit. Now, number four is that they start to become disengaged. My 2IC and I, we used to call this the face. Do you know when you've got this face and it just looks flat, slightly evil, <laughs> or there's no expression, or it's over-expressioned, you get the, uh, the eye roll, and the, oh, that sound, <laughs> you start to get the face and they disengage, they stop coming to work events and they try to get away with minimum input, minimum effort, like just enough. Do you know they're just under the line, under the bar because it's just enough to kind of like, you're like, oh, they're not performing, but, and then they just have a little bit of performance and so they're underperforming. I call that disengaged. We call it the face. They become the face. Um, and then number five 
is that they stop communicating. Do you know, as a team, you talk about what's happening on the weekend, you talk about the wedding that you're going to in June, you plan a holiday for October, and life. You know, we, we share. We're a tight-knit community because we work in close quarters and we talk about our life, what you're going to do in the future. And when somebody stops communicating that, it's because their future is not in alignment with what you guys are doing. The future is not with you. They're planning something else. This is when they go quiet in those conversations. They stop giving you eye contact when you're talking about the future. We're off to Hair Expo in June. Surely you would love to come. And there's a complaint or there's a reason, there's excuses, or they just go quiet and say nothing. So these are the five indicators that an employee is about to quit and they're not being honest with you. So let's recap them. They're not at work. Increased sickness and time away from the business. They complain. They start turning up late and they simply don't care or they start asking for money in an unjustified because they feel just they feel justified. Uh, it's kind of the same as, as a complaint. I want more, even though they know the rules aren't. Number three is they stop achieving. Their sales and the results start to decline. Number four is they disengage. They become the face. <laughs> they stop coming to the things. And number five is they stop communicating about the future. All right. Well, if we can recognize that, maybe you've got somebody in your business already. Who is that person? Who have you suddenly discovered that maybe they're disengaging and they're about to quit? Well, what are we going to do about it? Well, the first thing I want to share with you is that people leave you when they run out of future with you. So what does that mean? When they look into the future that of what they can see is happening in the business today and they look into the future and all they see is more of the same, they've got nothing to look forward to, they see no progression, they can't see what's next for them. When they feel like they're at the top of the pile, they will leave. Now, I know this to be true, not only because I see it with the, the owners that I work with inside of Salon Mastery or the Momentum Program, but I was that person. When I did my apprenticeship, the business I worked at was a thriving salon. It was busy, lots of young people with lots of energy. The owner had recently bought it off somebody else who was a driver who really drove the business. And as those girls started to qualify, they started to leave because there was no future. And I didn't consciously think of this at the time. I was, you know, 16 to 19 in those days. And when I was qualified, as soon as I got that qualification, funnily enough, I started to look for another job because I was, I was there. I had achieved the goal that was laid out in front of me. Now, she didn't sit me down and say, Larissa, the goal is to get qualified and leave. Clearly not. But that's what I saw happen around me. And because she hadn't planted me with any next steps, any next goals, the goal for me as an apprentice was get the qualification and get the pay rise. I got the pay rise. I wanted $10 an hour. Mind you, I started on three. Um, I got my $10 an hour and there was no next step. And by, because everybody else around me had left, I was top dog three months into my qualification, into achieving that goal. And so, of course, the next obvious thing for me was to open my own business. So I don't want this for you. I don't want your team to get to their qualification and tell you that they're leaving. I don't want your team to come for one or two years and get fully booked and then go, well, I've done it. I'm realizing we talked a lot about systems and processes this year and how you can employ them to give you the freedom that you saw on the horizon when you decided to open your own business.
The problem is now that you're in your business, you feel that you can't step away from your salon without it all falling apart without you. And I know as creative entrepreneurs, we're not necessarily the best at structure, but we need structure. And to be able to run the fun stuff, we need to know the numbers, systems and processes shall set us free. So let's listen into this piece. The other things that is compulsory for every single stylist every single time is pre-quoting our client services before they start. Um, this just like removes any challenges, barriers, problems, issues around, um, you know, at the front desk. There's nothing worse than someone getting to the front desk and getting bill shock or a surprise at what their hair has come to today. And it just means both people can relax into the service, the stylist and the client. And we have lots of scripting and conversation starters around um what the stylist can do if it's not within the client's budget today or, you know, what that looks like. There's always a workaround. Um, so, yeah, I think if you're not pre-quoting, that is an absolute must to um, start to implement into your salon. Okay, so assistance and processes, particularly around client service, is going to be uh, fundamental to us gaining a little bit of freedom and distance from the daily operations of our business. Talk to me a little bit about finances and like how important does this play into uh I guess gaining freedom from operations yeah that's huge so financial freedom at the end of the day financial freedom equals profit really you know the more profit we have or the more money we have in our bank accounts the more freedom we have to make decisions um, to either implement things in our salon, remove ourselves from the salon, um, provide things for our team when they ask for it, repairs, maintenance, all the things. So financial freedom is um, probably, I'd have to say, the number one pillar almost um, to be able to then deliver to our clients and our team accordingly. So financial freedom for me um, really the key thing for me here is no secrecy. So I think for years, salon owners or managers, or it's all been a bit like um, they know the numbers, but the team have got no idea of the numbers and not wanting to share enough about what it actually looks like to run a profitable, healthy business and where the money goes. Um, so the, over the last three or four years, that's something I've really worked extensively on with my team. Um, we've really dived into what the numbers look like, what it actually costs to open the doors for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Um, when can we get another support person? What that looks like? How much needs to be going on in the salon to be able to bring someone new in? When do we need a senior stylist? It all comes back to um, the numbers. So there is freedom in the numbers. And I know that uh, historic, you know, most hairdressers, we, we're very creative. So we don't often enjoy doing our numbers. Uh, however, I find numbers fun. I think if you start to learn easy ways to do them, then there is fun and creativity in knowing those numbers 100%. I will say, however, if you if it's really not your thing, get yourself a bookkeeper or get yourself somebody that it doesn't have to be a really high level expensive accountant. Just get someone that can help you with your bare basic um, numbers. And by bare basic, I mean, um, and these are the things I share with my team, knowing your um, bare bones break even so that's just like the minimum expenses you need to cover to open your doors and and my humble opinion you should know that down to the sort of five minutes especially or at the very least 15 minutes because we kind of tend to work in those um, increments you know of time um, and then share the finan financial goals with the team like 
Um, my team pretty much, I've taken them right through like uh, what it costs to run the business, where it all goes, what's left at the end of the day, the profit margin that I expect to make on being a business owner. I'm pretty honest about the fact that I'm not here to work for free and no one should be like they're not either. So um, I think those open, honest conversations are great. But the biggest thing, the biggest probably um, system or process that I've put in place around financial freedom has been to align all of my stylists or all of my team members with where they want to be with regard to earning a living. So um, we set a goal and it's different for every individual. So um, they have a good, great, excellent hourly rate or annual earning that they want to achieve. Um, and then we work backwards from there. And working backwards from there simply means um, with a stylist, for example, it comes back to how many clients do you need to look after in a week? What do you need to be charging them? What does your weekly turnover need to look like in order to be earning that kind of um, financial living? Uh, and it all falls into place from there. And once you've established that, then uh, the, the, all the problems around charging clients for extra time, extra product, you know, because they understand what they need to a, make an alignment with what the salon needs to in order to break even, but also B, um, what needs to be turned over in the salon so that everybody within it can earn a good living. Something else we discussed a lot is client attraction. And in the age of social media, digital marketing, how do we turn followers into lifelong loyal clients? I know salon owners struggle to know how to optimize their platform so that the people visiting them and engaging with them actually turn into clients, not just clients, but lifelong clients. Social media is where you date your clients. You give them a teaser of what it's like in your salon and show off your unique brand story. So selling yourself, giving your potential clients insight into you and into your team, human connection with humans. This is where it's at. Put yourself in the shoes of your prospective clients. They're really just people looking for their people. They're looking yeah. for their people and we're going to help just make that process super easy for them. Here's another thing I want people to remember about clients. It is a fact that people are more scared to see a new hairstylist than they are seeing a new dentist. Let that yeah. sink in for a second. Yeah. So how do we kind of eliminate the fear of their first visit? So that's what I love because Maya is predicting positive outcomes for both parties before that client even comes in. And the coolest part is it's really the power is in the stylist hands because they are going to be able to take their part of Maya saying, Hey, who do you do your best work with? If you could dream up your perfect clients and they'd sit in your chair and all day long, you are connected. They're buying from you. They're pre-booking. They're, they're referring friends. They are a clients. Who is that? And let's get you more people like that. So it's like a win across the board and, and, and such an, an awesome opportunity. But if you don't go that route, then I would say have an offer where they could redeem a special gift. And maybe to get the gift, they have to enter their, their name and email and possibly phone number in order to reveal the gift. And we see this all the time. Let's say you're shopping on a clothing site, a website to find new clothes. You know, they could say, you know, submit your email to save 15% off your first order, right? We see this all the time. So you could implement, if you don't want to go the kind of psychological route and, and you want to just have the offer route, you could do something very similar. 
My only recommendation with that is never, never offer a discount. I would not oh, recommend doing 15% I mean, off, right? I was, hope, I, I was hoping you were going to go yes. there because I'm not a fan of that. I think it works great for um, e-commerce. Um, yeah. But we are in the human business. Like we think we sell hair, we think we sell beauty, but we actually sell uh, connection, relationships, transformations. We are in the psychology business, whether we like it or not. So screw the 15%. I think this thing that <laughs> yeah. you've made is amazing. Like this is ridiculous, ridiculously awesome because you're taking away the fear for the person you're met. It is like Tinder for hair. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? This is the Tinder of hair. Um, you're taking away the fear for the client. You're making, you're improving the chance that they're going to have a good outcome and a good experience and find their uh, stylist or therapist or whatever uh, esthetician. Um, but how nice for the stylists to be able to know that actually the majority of the people that are coming into my chair are actually going to be people that I like, we're going to get along, and they've chosen me already. Uh, this is kind of a match made in heaven, really. So screw 15%. This is great. I love the evolution that you've gone from Meet My Stylist to Maya. Like, good for you. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Really, really good. You have thought long and hard about this um, and really the experience of... Uh, both sides I guess the both sides and bringing them together in a really really nice way and I actually think like the client that's going to uh, you might if you, let's just go back to the 15% pop-up thing which you know is a reasonable strategy but if you think about the people that are going to engage in that want the 15% and the chance of them coming in or then using it the demographic the demographic of that person versus uh, the person that takes the time to, to run through this analysis and is seriously looking for somebody, you might have le less numbers of humans that go through that, but a higher number of people that actually turn up in the chair and become a long-term client versus you might get hundreds of people filling up the 15% thing, but only a tiny percentage of them actually turn up and a tinier percentage of them even come back more than once. So it feels like smart maths to me. Well, I appreciate that, Larissa. And the Tinder part, you know, people still see the visual of their top three stylists, but if anybody's watching Netflix nowadays and they, the, there's a show like Love is Blind, you really do go through this, you know, you're just putting your heart out there. Here's what I connect with, who I would here's about me. And then we're saying, great, if this is about you, then here's who you match with. And right from their match results, they can click to book online right through our system. So it really is an awesome way to, you know, the ultimate, ultimate funnel for getting those new clients in the door. And imagine taking every post you do on social media right now. And let's say you're, you're saying, wow, look at this rich chocolatey brunette by our stylist, Larissa, right? And then you could say, wondering if Larissa is your salon soulmate, click the link in our bio to discover if she's your match, you know, and you could have that as one of your landing page links in your link in bio. You could have, you know, the, your matchmaking opportunity for them right there. So it really can become like this powerful sales funnel process and call to action for social media.
There's so much that can be done, Larissa. I mean, how we even attract people who have left. Think about the stylist who leaves for Booth Rental and what happens with all their clients. Can you have a chance of getting those clients to see other stylists at your salon? Well, the answer is yes. If you give them the opportunity to see who else they are matched with here, who would be a great fit for them besides that person they've come to know and trust. That's a big deal. And so there's just a lot of ways this can be powerful for people. Now, the final big conversation that we had this year was around profit. In fact, we ran a whole incredible boot camp, the Profit Boot Camp. This has been a big lesson this year, and it all starts with the question in your salon, is your salon profitable? And too often salon owners tell me that they're not paying themselves, and their salon is not profitable. But if you want profit, you actually have to force profit. Don't sit around and wait for it to show up and to plop out the bottom, because you won't see it, and it won't show up unless you make it happen. So let's listen to this. But I actually think it's not that complicated to feel confident about making data-driven decisions, right? And not feeling discouraged when we look at our numbers and more read them as a report, as a map that's going to tell us what to do in our business. The numbers will tell us a story. But either way, if your business isn't making profit, you need a profit formula. There's no point putting your head in the sand. We need something that's going to tell you exactly what to prioritize in order to make profit in your business, right? How do you overcome the fear of numbers? Well, actually, we just need to dive in. They're actually not that scary. So no more winging it. If you don't have a budget, we need a really, really clear step-by-step plan. Otherwise, there's this, I remember this feeling, like feeling like, well, I just get the leftovers, right? But you actually deserve to be paid First, you're the most important person in your business. And if you're not there, they don't have a job. So why are you prioritizing them? It's a bit like put your own seatbelt on first before you put your, no, the the mask. Put your own mask on first before you can help the child and the plane going down. I don't know if that's a good analogy, uh, but we need to prioritize self. And I give you permission to do that right here. And I want you to kind of be able to stand tall and have a really confidence in a growth system and not relying on your accountant or others to tell you about your business. Your accountant has a different goal than you. Your accountant's goal is compliance, tax management. The goal is not to make you rich. The goal is to tell you what to do once you've made the money or not as the case may be and not how to make the money or not to set you up for future success good reporting maybe, but often what I discover is that accountants just tell you what happened in the past. It's like looking at the rear vision mirror. We've got to actually look out the front window. And so I want to give you a system system to maximize profit. Is that making sense? Right, let's step into step number one. I speak with salon owners often, of course, being a coach. Um, But when I meet owners for the first time, the first thing I ask is, How much do you want to make? And I know when my dad helped me open my business at 20, he asked me the same question. How much do you actually want to make? And funnily enough, my answer was, oh, dad, I want to make $30,000. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was 20. I didn't have big dreams and ambitions, but it's holding us back, right? Often owners don't actually know how much wages, how much salary, how much profit they actually want to take home and bring in to the family. So I want you to think about that. If we want to make more, we have to have a really clear destination, right? I know sometimes it's easy to think, I don't care about money, 
but you can't reach a goal if you don't have a goal like you can't achieve the goal if you don't know what the goal is and I think this is a mistake there's too much fear around the money and taboo around being filthy rich so to unlock your path to financial freedom we need to really put a plan in place to not only dream but make a plan for profit we want to design a rich life if you will actually what is the most important step um, we've got to think about money mindset. And of course, you probably have heard me already talk about a profit first mindset. Okay, step number two is prepare for profit. We're just otherwise hoping that there's some profit left over if everything works well and we can get our team right, that hopefully there'll be some profit left over because I know it feels hard to think about the money or know what levers to pull. I know that actually all you need is a really simple system that tells you what to do to be profitable. And money, strangely enough, often evokes emotion. And this is where we go wrong. Instead, we just need a very simple money paint by paint by numbers, I guess, you know, money by numbers, a very black and white in plain sight, you're either in profit or not. And if you're not, it tells you what to do. And if you're, if you are, it tells you what you've been doing and to do more of it. So we can't ignore it and leave it to our accountant. It's kind of passing our power over. Instead, I want you to be knowledgeable, powerful and know exactly, exactly the step. So there's a couple of things that we need. We need to know our break even. We need to know what our minimum number is each week. And imagine by Friday, you know, oh my God, we are totally in profit. All day Friday and Saturday, we're in profit right now. We need to know the five margins. There's only five numbers that you need to know and care about when it comes to profitability. And I'm going to tell you about that in this bootcamp. And we need a really good reporting mechanism. I call it the CEO dash. And that mechanism is going to be the thing that's going to report back to you how you're going. Imagine your child was playing football and you were on the side, but there were no lines around the field. There were no rules and there were no goals. Would it be an interesting game to watch? Would the kids be excited to play that game? I think probably not. So we need to have a dashboard. It's a bit like a racing car. If we're driving and we're running, trying to win a race, we need a dashboard that's going to tell us when we ran out of petrol and when we need to put fresh tires on. And lastly, we need a reporting rhythm that we know how often we need to know what information so we're always a step ahead and we're not waiting to get old information from our accountant that's way out of date. Does that make sense? So we need to have a good, I call it the CEO dash plus a dash rhythm. And that's a wrap. Five big lessons to reflect on to round off an incredible year. And it's been a great year for us here at Salon Owners Collective also. I'm so excited for the challenges and new ideas and perspectives that 2024 has in store for us. If only we could know what they're going to be. So just to recap those five lessons is we put the champagne on ice or the bears on the chili bin or the esky or whatever you say over the ditch or on the other side of the world. We're in anticipation of the new year. We talked about leading a new generation with open minds and the five warning signs of your employee if she's about to quit. The importance of systems and processes and the role of your website and social media in attracting new clients. And finally, debunking the myth that profit comes to those that work hard and wait patiently. 
If you did want to dive further into any of those topics, I've linked some of our best performing podcast episodes for 2023 in the show notes of this episode. And you'll also find the link to apply for Salon Mastery, Momentum, or even The Boardroom, a nine-part proven plan to grow and scale your business. You'll find it there. If you're thinking that 2024 is going to be your year, then maybe Salon Mastery, Momentum, or even The Boardroom can help you make it happen. Anyway, enough from me. I'll catch you same time, same place on the podcast. Ciao for now. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the podcast. Tune in every week as I reveal the latest insights and advice on what it takes to truly master your inner salon CEO and master your salon success. Subscribe to the Salon Owners Collective podcast on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at www.salonownerscollective.com. But make sure to join me in my Facebook group for answers to common questions and much, much more. Thanks for listening and I look forward to tuning in with you again next week.